If you have your Bibles with you, uh, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. And as you're opening there, I want to talk to you a little bit about our mission. So uh, when I say our mission, you might be inclined to think like the mission of Alliance Bible Church. This is what we're doing. And while this is the mission of Alliance Bible Church, this is really kind of the mission of all Christians. This is the thing that Christians are called into, what we're called to accomplish. So this is our mission. We are to, number one, integrate our lives into Christ's life. Like that's the first part. And the second part of that mission is that we then extend the life that we have been integrated into towards others. Like if you want to simplify the calling of the New Testament upon the lives of people who would trust in Jesus, the calling of the New Testament can be boiled down to integrate your life into Christ's life and then extend Christ's life to others. And then it's like this constant reciprocal thing where you are integrating more and more into Christ's life. And as you're doing that, you're extending it. And then you're realizing, oh, I'm not quite integrated enough as I extend it. And so I'm going to integrate more and then I'm going to extend more, right? And it's this constant reciprocation. This is our mission. This is the thing that churches and Christians are called into. For what it's worth, this is why I preach, Like you want to talk about what I am laboring for when I speak words, what I'm what I'm praying for during the week. Right? Like I preach and pray that the Holy Spirit will do something when the word is proclaimed. Like not I get the feeling that sometimes we can come to church or things like this and feel like, okay, I'm gonna get some more information today. And if I can get a little bit more information, that somehow more information is going to create transformation. And I've got news for you. Information in and of itself does not create transformation. It just does not accomplish that. So I pray that as I speak, you will not just take this as content that you are receiving, but that you'll listen reflectively. That you would regard this even as a holy moment so that you could figure out what it is to integrate your life more into Christ's life and extend Christ's life to others. Now, let me tell you why I care about this so much. Because when I was 16 years old, I heard a pastor preach through John chapter 7. And he got to this passage. And I went, whoa, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. It's like the last day of the feast. Everybody's gathered around. Jesus is looking at all of these people going through the motions of their faith. And he stands up. I imagine him like kind of even getting up on a table. He's so frustrated. He longs for so much more. And this is what he says in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, not only will he receive, but out of that person's heart will flow rivers of living water. You integrate into my life, and as you integrate into my life, you will extend that life to others. This is what he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So, just like got a quick question for you. How many of you all feel like fountains? Right? Like just all the time you feel like rivers of living water are just constantly flowing out of you. 
How many of you feel, gotta be honest, I don't always feel like that. It's a struggle, right? Right now, there are a few people in this church, I'll just have you know, there are a few people who every time I walk by them, like the Lord is giving life out of those people. You gotta know that. But by and large, I would wager that our experience is not the feeling of fountains. Like by and large, that is probably not our experience. And here's the implication. Like this passage, like what this is saying is that you, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have in your person everything you need to see the life of Christ flow through you and meet and change others. Like right now, everything is accessible to you to to flow through you and meet and change others. So I have a question. If it is so available right now, why do we experience it as far off and unattainable? Like, why is that our experience? Why does our integration into Christ's life so often get interrupted? Why does our extension of Christ's life like rarely go beyond the five minutes that we go to the gas station after we spent time with the Lord in the morning and we've had our jolt of coffee, right? And then after that, we kind of forget about it. Like, if you're human... Right, So I'm a human with you this morning. If you're a human, you're prone to blame. Right? Well, I'll tell you why. My boss is a jerk. I've got too many money problems. People are inconsiderate. If I spend enough time around inconsiderate people, you know what I become? I become pretty inconsiderate. You might say, well, our country is falling to pieces. Or uh, you might say, oh, I'm just so busy. You might say, I'm, you know, I'm just afraid of making mistakes. Right? I get why you pick those reasons, but listen to Ephesians chapter 6. And I wonder if you can get an idea of why the Apostle Paul thinks you have such trouble accomplishing this mission that we're called to. Ephesians 6.12 says this says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why you have such trouble accomplishing the very thing that Jesus called us to do. Right, so we are in week five of a series on the spiritual war. We've been, in kind of the last four weeks, this is what we have been doing. If you've not been with us, I'd love to catch you up right now. So, um, so we have pointed out this spiritual enemy that we have. We call him Satan or the devil, and he is leading a band of spiritual enemies. And they are evil, right? They rebel against God. They create chaos. And we discovered they're not all powerful, actually. Like, God is mightier than they are. God is stronger than they are. They actually have to submit to God's authority. But they have been given spheres of influence, right? And so what do they do? Well, as we've walked through these last four weeks, we've discovered that they rule nations, Like they have authority over nations. They are kind of the power behind the power. They control centers of cultural influence, right? They're uh, bleeding cultural lies out there for people to grab onto and become captivated. They engage in spiritual combat with God's angels. We've looked at that. They are strong. And what we've been understanding is that they have been at work throughout the history of our world. 
So, so Paul says this is why integrating into Christ's life and then extending that life is so hard. Look at what he lists out there. This is what it says. Just listen to these things. Right? Rulers. Authorities. Cosmic powers of this present darkness. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Like he's sticking a lot of words about spiritual authority and about dark spiritual forces into one place. And this is kind of what he's saying. It's like, it's as if all of the darkness in the world is lined up against you accomplishing this mission that you've been created for. Every bit of it is working against you and fighting against you. He's saying, you know what, if it were flesh and blood, that would be easy. Right? But it's not. It's not flesh and blood. This is a different kind of power, uh, a battle with a more powerful enemy. So, you know what I really want? Like What I want more than anything else, I want to see the mission that we have been given become a constant reality, not just for an organization, not just for this church, but for the lives of every single person who calls this church home. Is that maybe like a little big for my expectations? Well, Jesus said it could happen, and you know what? I just happen to believe Jesus. So, uh, so this is what we're going to do. We are going to look at what Paul says about this war and how we can actually hope to accomplish the mission that we have been given. So Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 says this. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. You know, we typically think of this spiritual war as maybe armies against armies, or uh, we think of it like in a very tactical matter. We have uh, big forces competing against each other. But then he says this word, wrestle. And this word, wrestle, is really interesting because it actually conjures up the idea of like a personal struggle, of, uh, of a personal struggle, of a personal wrestling. This is, this is like Jacob when he wrestled with God in the Old Testament, right? There's this personal kind of battle going on. And the idea that's being given here is it's not a one and done thing. This is a constant ongoing fight. So uh, for what it's worth, I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in high school, and I want to talk to you a little bit about wrestling and kind of some of the tactics of wrestling. You know, an entire wrestling match, it's like six minutes long, and you might go, okay, six minutes, that's not a big deal. Well, when you're expending the physical energy required to be in like a constant strength battle with another human being, it gets exhausting very fast. Right, and so part of the tactics of wrestling, like part of what you're doing, like you see wrestlers when they wrestle, they get down like this and their, their arms are out here and their legs are back here, right? And all of it is about seeing who can kind of get the upper hand on the other person, right? You're, you're trying to keep your legs back, you're keeping your arms out here so you can block and guard because people are trying to take you down, right? Like that's what you're trying to accomplish in wrestling. So, so it's really kind of this battle to see who can restrain the other person, right? Who can tie the hands of the other person? Who can actually, like, part of, like, one of the really good things in wrestling, you, if you can get leverage on the other person, you've basically won the battle, right? So, so 
a lot of it is this constant struggle to, to get different people into the upper hand. We don't often, like we imagine this kind of being like outright attacks against each other. But the idea that we're given with this idea of a struggle is it's seeing who can constantly get the upper hand. The struggle in wrestling, it's as much about keeping your opponent ineffective as it is about attacking them. Like if you can keep your opponent ineffective, if you can restrain your opponent in some way or keep yourself back from them, the more ineffective your opponent is, the more of an upper hand that you have. So get this. In this struggle, in this wrestling, the cosmic powers want to keep you ineffective. They want to restrain you. They want to tie your hands. The first goal of our enemy in this spiritual battle is this. To gain leverage through schemes. That's his first goal. That's what he's trying to accomplish. And here are the schemes. They all start with D, so I hope it's easy to remember. The schemes are discord, discouragement, deception, and damage. Right, so Ephesians 4.27 with discord, Ephesians 4.27 talks about uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you do, you will give the enemy an opportunity. Right, don't give him leverage. So, so be careful with discord. Watch out for what that can do. Discouragement. Uh, the devil is called in other places the accuser of the brethren. Right, he's all the time telling lies to Christians, trying to get them to believe false things about themselves that they're not good enough, that they're not worthy enough, that they're not going to be able to uh, cross the finish line with Jesus. All of this is not true, by the way, because you know what? Jesus is good enough, and Jesus is worthy enough, and he's the one who applies his blood to you. Deception. We talked about this last week. In fact, most of our energy in this series has been talking about how the enemy is just speaking lies all the time to get people to believe them, to lead them away from the truth of God. And then finally, damage. We, we've kind of touched on this just a little bit, but, but damage is the idea that uh, we look at certain places in Scripture like the book of Job. And apparently in the book of Job, God permitted Satan to touch Job's physical life, to impact the physical realities of his life. So much so that like, uh, God at one point said, okay, you can kind of touch whatever you want, you just can't kill him. right? So the idea that we get here is with God's permission, if God allows it, and for what it's worth, God allows, ordains, or permits anything that happens in the whole universe, but if God allows it, like Satan actually has the ability to cause physical damage in our lives, right? So, so once you are able to get to the point, all he does all of these things to get leverage on us, right? Once you're able to get the point of leverage on your opponent, then you attack, and that's actually like when you make a blatantly offensive move. So you, you see uh, the opponent's leg exposed and there's an opportunity for a takedown, right? You, you've found a way that you can get leverage on them and then you go in. So his second goal is this. After he's gained leverage, he wants to destroy the work of God's mission. That's what he's doing. That's what he's up to. That's what he's trying to accomplish. So can I get real with you for a second? We live in a space, this, uh, this part of the Chicagoland area that we live in. We live in a space that, for what it's worth, is under incredibly heavy spiritual attack. So i just kind of give you some examples of the spiritual attack that have happened within a 15-mile radius in the last 10 years. In 2014, Bartlett Baptist Church closed its doors because of church conflict. 
In 2016, Medina Baptist Church had conflict between the elders and the pastor. Two years later, that church closed its doors. Since 2007, there has been uh, fallout at um, Harvest Bible Chapel, and people have been leaving, uh, and then that culminated in 2018 and 2019 in kind of an explosion. Uh, In 2018, Willow Creek's pastor had allegations come against him. He resigned. There's been fallout from that. You lump that in with the moral failures of and the church discord that has existed in a 15-mile radius. Lump that in with the poor witness of Christians and a dissipating gospel passion that exists here. And the result that happens is that you have churches with faithful gospel-preaching presences becoming fewer and far between in this space. People saying, I'm never going to go back to church again. I'm never going to engage with spiritual leaders again. See what they do? And what's happening? The enemy gains leverage. He's able to destroy the work of God's mission carried out through local churches. And don't listen to me say this and think that we're immune from it. We're not. Especially because if you observe just what uniquely seems to be happening in this space, it seems like he's actually like intensely on the offensive. So, what do we do? Like we know our enemy's goal. Right? We know that all of us long to be more effective than we actually are. So what do we do? Ephesians 6, 11 through 14, it says this. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand. And then in verse 13, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor that you may be able to what? Withstand. And then it says, stand firm. And then it says, stand, therefore. In the space of three verses, he says one thing four different times. Stand. Stand. And you know how you do that? You put on the armor. This is what he's saying. He's saying, do not give up your leverage. Stand firm. Do not give up your leverage. Stand firm. What's your leverage? What gives you the upper hand in the battle? What protects you from being overexposed? It's the armor of God. So Christian, when? When do you gain leverage? Well, you gain leverage apparently when you put on this armor that's already been given to you. When do you lose leverage? You lose leverage when you fail to put on this armor that's already been given to you. Like, do you want any hope of seeing God's mission advance through your life? Put on what's already yours. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go piece by piece, and we're kind of going to figure out what leverage we already have and then what it means to use it against these schemes of the devil. And we're going to roll through these pretty quickly. So Ephesians 6, 14. If you're curious, uh, our ladies' Bible study has been going through the armor of God, and there are a few pieces left. In fact, I think they're on the... They just did the breastplate of righteousness. So uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace will be next for them. So you can jump in and engage with that. That would be great. But here we go. Ephesians 6.14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So for what it's worth, the belt is the thing in the armor that holds everything else together. Right? All the other pieces are reliant on the belt to be able to, to keep functioning. And uh, he says this word truth, uh, the word truth and the word integrity have a really cl- close relationship in the Greek language. So we might be inclined to think of truth as like you just know the word really well, and that's a piece of it. But truth is something much bigger than that. 
Like truth is something that is ours now. Because what is true of us? Well, we were made to be in relationship with God. That is the thing that we were created for. But here's the problem. We lived out of alignment with that reality for a really long time. Until Jesus came and saved us and gave us relationship with our creator. And now we're actually able to live in alignment with integrity with the thing that we have been called to. Right, so now we can finally live in alignment with how things are supposed to be. So this, for what it's worth, works against one of the devil's schemes, the scheme of discouragement, the scheme of accusations. Like when you, when you have your enemy coming against you and telling you things that are not true about you and trying to damage your destiny and saying you are out of alignment with God, God doesn't want what's good for you. It leads you to live in fear of being found out leads you to keep back the real you from other people, right? It stops you from being open. It makes you feel like you have to hide. It makes you feel like you have to put on a mask or become a different person. And all of that, if you live your life in that mode, it gives the enemy leverage. And meanwhile, Jesus gives us freedom to be honest, Right, knowing that when we confess our sins, when we actually have integrity to admit what's already true, we are forgiven. Knowing that our identity is not in impressing people, it's also not in our failures, for what it's worth. Knowing that as we honestly pursue him, we are in alignment with the purpose that he created us for. Right, Jesus gives us freedom to be who we say we are. We know whose we are and we know who we serve. And having that security holds everything else together. So uh, then it goes on. Ephesians 6.14, another piece of the armor. It says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, righteousness, it becomes a quality of our life as we come to Jesus. He transforms us. He changes us. So righteousness is about doing deeds that we've been set free by Jesus to do. What? Love God and love your neighbor. Right? Like that's what it comes down to. So what are the schemes of the devil in this case? The evil schemes are deception and discord. So he comes and says, you deserve a break from doing good. You've done enough. You've been patient and kind enough today. You don't have to do it anymore. Right? You know what? No one is as skilled as you are. No one works harder than you do. You should hide some resentment in your heart for those other people who don't work as hard as you do. Let it boil up. You know what? Everyone else is against you. They don't really want you to succeed. And you know, it's, it's not really that big of a deal to entertain this small sin. You've had a really long day. It's not that big of a deal. And the more we play into those lies the more opportunity we create for the devil to have leverage. But we've been given the ability by the Holy Spirit living in us to see and know what is right and actually do it. Right? We get leverage on the enemy when we do what is right, regardless of how we feel or what happens, regardless of the lies that he whispers. 
So when we serve each other, even when it's hard, when we bless our neighbors, even after we've had a long day at work, when we reconcile with a brother or sister, when we uh, submit to another one in humility, admitting our wrong, when we honor God with our bodies, when we do all of that, we resist the lies. Because Jesus has given us life, and then because of that life, we can stand against sin. But when we entertain sin and give it a space at the table, what we do is we give the enemy leverage. And so we have the breastplate of righteousness to keep him from having a foothold. Verse 15. He says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the gospel, the, sorry, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Readiness is the ability to stand and advance. Right? As you fight in the battle, it's the ability to stand and advance. So let's talk about the schemes that this helps us fight. Damage and discouragement. Right? The, the enemy wants to harm your physical situation. God gives him permission to do that, maybe. Right? Creates hard situations in your life. And, and maybe you just have the reality of hard situations in your life. Maybe it didn't come from him, but, but the reality is, is you see, you, if you see things falling apart, you see physical health failing in yourself or those around you. You get uh, a, a series of house problems or pet problems or uh, just health problems for yourself, right? Like one thing after another. And sometimes, you know, it just so happens that these things happen to pile up in like really close spaces sometimes. Right? So, so maybe God's given the enemy permission to rearrange the schedule on some of these things, right? And some of it's life, some of it's intentional on his part, but do you want to know how, how kind of you gain leverage over those tools of the enemy? You daily take delight in what Jesus has accomplished for you in the gospel. Even when things seem to be falling apart, right, take it to someone else, encourage someone else. Maybe, maybe even take that gospel to someone else for the first time. A gospel that says, you know what, I was at odds with God. I was an enemy of God. But, but when damage comes, even when damage comes, I know that God is for my good and my eternity is secure in him because of what Jesus has accomplished. Um, Horatio Spafford, he wrote the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, his family was sailing across the sea. Many of you have probably heard this story before, but um, his family was sailing across the sea. He was at home, and what happened as his family was sailing is that the ship that they were on was struck by another ship. And uh, his, his wife and his four daughters were on that ship, and all four of his daughters died. And from that space, actually, as he was on the ship, and uh, he was kind of going to see them. They were crossing back home. So he had gone to see his wife. He had met his wife. And they were crossing back home. And as they um, rode over the spot where the collision happened, the captain called him up and said, hey, I just want to let you know this is where it happened. And um, he goes down to his cabin. And he writes the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I want you to listen to verse 3. He says, though Satan should buffet, buffet for what, it words, uh, what it's worth, it, it means though Satan should use this tragedy to strike at me repeatedly. 
though he should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. The entire song is about the sure-footedness found in the peace that God has given us in the gospel. And that peace grounds our life in the midst of trouble. And when we extend it to others and ground ourselves in it, we gain leverage over the enemy. Verse 16. It says, in all circumstances, in some circumstances, no, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So which evil schemes are involved in this one? Well, apparently all of them are involved in this one. Discord, discouragement, deception, damage. Every scheme that we talked about, all of them are powerful. And if you are exposed to the attack, you will not last. But there is one tool that you can use strategically against every single scheme. It's faith. Do you believe God? Right, that no matter what happens in this life, your eternity is secure. That all things, regardless of how challenging they are, are working together for your good. That you are his beloved child. That he is with you. That you can live your life in alignment with his mission that he is trying to accomplish. Faith is the strongest tool that we have to defend ourselves against the things that come against us. Because if in every fiber of our being, and this is really like the work of sanctification in us, is that a part of us believes, but there's a lot of us that doesn't believe, right? And we're trying to get more and more of our soul, the depths of ourselves, to believe this truth that we have been given in God. So as we get the belief and the faith to go deeper and deeper, and it wells into every fiber of our being, that yes, what God says is true, then more and more, Satan's attacks, regardless of how powerful they are, they become useless. So here's a tip. When you feel the attacks succeeding against you, when you feel the discouragement welling in, when you see the damage and you are uh, just constantly taken down by that, when you are experiencing discord, ask the question, Where in my life do I need to fight to believe God more right now? Verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation. So this evil scheme that this helps against, the helmet of salvation, is deception. So you know what? Being human, your mind is prone to believe lies. Satan is coming at us with lies all the time. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning as you more live into this thing that you've been called to, as you dig into the word and understand scripture, you know what it does? It's you put on the helmet of salvation. It rewires your mind. It helps you to believe truth. Know where your hope lies. And be secure there. And then finally, at the end of verse 17, it says this. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only weapon listed in the whole armor. 
And what it's telling us is that the word of God applied by the spirit of God is what actually defeats the power of the enemy in our lives. It's what enables us to advance and take enemy ground. And for what it's worth, we are going to talk more about this next week. So, uh, so I want to uh, just read a passage for you from a book. This is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you've heard of it before. In the book, there is a battle between a character named Christian. It's a metaphor for the Christian life, a journey that Christians go on. There's a, there's a battle between the character called Christian and Apollyon. Apollyon is a name used for Satan in Revelation. And so uh, Christian and Apollyon come against each other, and Christian has just been clothed in his armor. He's been given his armor, and he's just getting used to knowing how to use it. And then Apollyon shows up. And first, Apollyon, he just simply asks Christian some questions. Uh, What are you doing here on this way, this road? Why do you pledge loyalty to a king that you don't even know? Say, just ask simple, innocent questions with him. And then when he realizes that Christian is kind of persistent in keeping on this road, on this way of faith, Apollyon makes his true intent known. And this is what it says in this passage. It says, Then Apollyon broke out into a grievous rage and said, I am an enemy of this king. I hate him. I hate his laws and his people. And I am come out on purpose to withstand you. Then Apollyon straddled over the whole breadth of the way and said, prepare yourself to die. For I swear by my infernal din that you shall go no further. Here I will spill your soul. And with that, he he threw a flaming dart at his breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it and so prevented the danger of that. And then Christian drew his sword for he saw it was time to fight. And Apollyon is fast, uh, made at him, throwing darts as thick as hail, by the which, notwithstanding all that Christian could do to avoid it, Apollyon wounded him in his head, his hand, and in his foot. Then Apollyon, seeing his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian, wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful blow, and with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of you now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was preparing his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly stretched out his hand for his sword and caught it. And with that, he gave him a deadly thrust, which sent Apollyon reeling, as one that had received his mortal wound. And then Christian, perceiving that, rushed at him again and said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped him away. That Christian, for a season, saw him no more. Church, God has given us everything we need to be able to stand against the devil and his schemes. So what? So what? I just have one to share with you this morning, and it is this. Know your mission and stand. Right? What is the mission? Integrate our lives into Christ's life and extend Christ's life to others. 
If you want to see Jesus work through you and take ground from the enemy, you have to get leverage. And the good news is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been given every tool that you need to be able to stand, to hold leverage against the one who is attacking you. No one, for what it's worth, can take those things from you. No one. They've been given to you. They're given to you freely. No one can put them on for you either, though. You need to do it. And the promise is that as we stand, we advance the mission. We go deeper into Christ's life and more effectively extend that life to others. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to transition into a time of communion together. And we're going to seek as a church body here to more fully integrate our lives into Christ's life. We're going to arm ourselves with the shoes of the gospel of peace that enables us to stand. This is what we celebrate in communion. We recognize that we at one time were enemies of God. We were at odds with him. And so God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ to make peace with us. And how did he make peace? Well, he lived and performed miracles and did many mighty things. And then he went to the cross He allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be shed. And as his body was broken and his blood was shed, the weight of God's wrath against our rebellion was poured out on Jesus. So that Jesus died in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So that we could have peace with God. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. We are going to partake of communion together. We have uh, here bread and juice, and I just invite you right now, just so you're ready for it when it comes, this little piece of uh, thin foil on top, I'd go ahead and peel that back so, uh, so you're not fumbling with it as we roll through the time here. And here is, uh, is bread and juice, and they re- represent for us Jesus' broken body and shed blood. So in a moment, we're going to take a moment of silence together. And in that moment of silence, this is what I would invite you to do. I would invite you to let peace rest in your soul because of what Jesus has done for you. Right, and then after we take that moment of silence, we're going to sing a song together. And then after that song, we will eat and drink these elements. If you're a Jesus follower this morning uh, and you're visiting from another church, you are invited to partake with us. We practice open communion, which means that if you claim the name of Jesus, we believe that uh, this is a proclamation. Right? That's what the Bible tells us, that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we proclaim something that is true about the peace that God has bought for us. So if you cannot make that proclamation in good conscience, we just ask that you would uh, simply not partake with us. But if you can make that proclamation, we are glad to have you join us. And let me just say, if you're not following Jesus this morning, right? like there's an invitation extended to you. God wants to provide you a way of freedom from the spiritual powers that are at work in this world. And he wants to give you peace with your creator. And so if you don't trust in Jesus, I'd invite you, make today the day that you decide to follow him. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment of silence. And I want you to reflect on that peace. And then after that, we'll sing together. So would you reflect with me, please?